Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 21st. It's Back to the Future Day. Clemson's 6-0, 75 degrees out here in San Francisco, and life is good. Um, thank you all for tuning in to our Week 7 preview as Clemson gears up to play Miami in front of 17 people at Sun Life Stadium. Uh, just a quick plug before we get started here, guys. Uh, ClemsonPodcast.com, all one word. Um, up there at our website, you can stream our latest show, take a look at some of our most recent episodes. We're starting to put some write-ups alongside our episodes. Um, you can only really take a look at those up there, so give it a visit. Feel free to shoot a comment into our posts. We also have links to our Twitter, Facebook, um, those, those pages, as well as um, we have links to other po- podcast subscription services where you can ensure that you never miss an episode. So take a look at ClemsonPodcast.com. We appreciate your listens. Uh, before we get started, guys, I think let's just hit it right off the top. What are we drinking around the table? Well, today, guys, I brought you a, uh, from Ballast Point Brewing Company in San Diego, a Habanero Sculpin IPA. You know, uh, based on the comments on STS, I've been trying to, to start hitting some East Coast beers, but unfortunately, my corner store doesn't carry a lot of them, so... At least got something with a theme here is a flavored beer. Um, it is an IPA, but um, it's got a nice habanero kick to it. It really wakes up your taste buds. Yeah, I'm having the same thing, and I'm really surprised at the, the aftertaste here. That's like really, I mean, really neat. It's solid pepper, just, yeah, right down the throat. Um, I'm actually not drinking beer at the moment. Uh, thanks, Cody. I'm actually uh, finishing off an old-fashioned... Uh, made with rye from the Heritage Distillery in um, Gig Harbor, Washington. So I think in the Northwest and really all over the country, you're starting to see some craft distilleries. You know, everyone's been drinking microbrews, craft beers for the past few years. I think the laws around distilling liquor have kind of loosened as well. Um, and you've got a lot of d- distilleries coming up, making whiskeys outside of the traditional like bourbon region, you know, Scotch whiskey, um, Tennessee sour mash regions. So anyway, this rye is pretty good. Good and an old-fashioned here, um, making these beer drinkers jealous. So uh, anyway, good stuff. Um, guys, before we get into our Miami preview today, a um, couple things I wanted to touch on. Let's definitely take a look at our midpoint of the season. We're through six games of our regular season at this point. We'll touch on that. But first things first, in our Boston College recap, we kind of failed to address the sort of stunning ending to that Michigan-Michigan State rivalry game. Um, Anyone living under a massive space rock over the last six days um, surely missed one of the more memorable endings in in a college football game in recent memory. Um, Michigan basically had already iced the game. All they had to do was either sit on the ball, punt it away, and that game was over. Um, It was a very ugly game throughout. Lots of mistakes, lots of turnovers. I forget the final score off the top of my head at the moment, but didn't seem like there was very much movement or scoring going down the stretch. Um, and Michigan, all they had to do was ice it. Michigan State effectively blocked a punt, or Michigan's punter dropped the snap, and then uh, all hell broke loose. 
Michigan State ran down the field, um, and in the the melee in the end zone, the guy who actually recovered the ball and ran it in, I think he dislocated or broke his hip. Yeah, he's out for the year. Out for the year. Yeah. He had he had his teammates like jumping on him, and in that that process broke his hip. Um, I can't think of anything more painful than that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sorry for that guy, and it sucks that he's going to miss the rest of the year. But I'm I'm so happy Michigan lost in that manner. I'm not sure why. For some reason, I just don't like them. And because they're assholes, <laughs> I think they deserved it. Um, but what an ending to a game! It kind of reminds me of the uh, the kick six with uh, Auburn Alabama a few years ago. Just that kind of unpredictable ending. Cody, let me ask you something. You your team's got to lose in excruciating fashion. And I was there when we watched the kick six together. What would you rather have, that Michigan loss or the Alabama loss with Auburn? Wow, that's that's a tough question. But I would say, I mean, it's got to be the kick six because they didn't even have to kick the field goal. I mean, that You're was... saying that's more painful. Yeah, it's more painful. And I mean, it was like, I don't know what the chances of the kick six happening, but it was definitely more improbable than what happened the with kick the... Six, kick, fair enough. Kick six, they had to go 100 yards, 100-plus yards to but, score. And that had national title implications. I know Michigan, Michigan State fans think that this has national title implications. But for the rest of us, we know both of them are out. That's true. And keep in mind, the, the kick six was a it was a field goal. It wasn't a... I mean, you could have punted it and just pinned the guy, and that would have been the game. But, no, I thought it was tied going into overtime. And Alabama was kicking for the win. No, you're right. Okay. Anyway, that's... So I've, I've read that that the Michigan people think the Michigan one is more excruciating because they had it iced. We'll we'll say this: we were at the our, our Clemson alumni bar in San Francisco. There was Michigan and Michigan State people, like they're hanging out together. I'm glad they were friends because the Michigan guys were just um, like so distraught. And if, if that would have been Clemson. I wouldn't have been like I would have done a little bit more. I've been a little if, bit mad if you were with Carolina fans and that happened. I'd have been throwing um, things. I mean, let's end it this. Let's really get down to it the best part about all of that is when they pan the crowd and show people's faces um in disbelief <laughs> after yeah. it happens that's pure gold i mean you know all jokes aside i grew up in ohio we hate michigan whatever but you never wish that type of loss on any fan base and yeah you just see the pain there and i feel like we've had some moments not nearly as ridiculous as that but i mean to see that like in six weeks of the season Seventh week of the season. It's crazy. It overshadowed the, the Stanford catch the previous Thursday. Yeah, which that was, was amazing. amazing. You know, two years prior right. by the time that happened. But what was nice for us is that that cleared the bar out pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. So we could get down to the Clemson game. Indeed. So uh, Clemson did move on to beat Boston College. We started the year 6-0. and And um, we were just talking. I don't know. I mean, I think most of us predicted we would be at that point. Um, maybe one loss by this stage, but um, guys, I'd like to just take a moment to talk about where, where we stand here. Um, again, all of our goals are ahead of us, being an undefeated team, winning the ACC, winning the Atlantic, getting the Florida State monkey off our back, um, get, you know, racking up a winning streak against South Carolina, making our first playoff berth, and competing for a national title. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think from my own perspective, in terms of expectations, I think we're ahead of the game there um, of what I what I had hoped. I believe I predicted potentially a Georgia Tech loss. That looks a little foolish now, but certainly the first three weeks of the year they look like world beaters. Um, so yeah, um, you know I'll I'll eat some crow on that one. But I feel like 
I think the real surprising piece for me has been the play of our defense. We've talked about that every week, uh, but it's that's that's the deal. Um, but you no, know, we've seen definite signs of improvement the past three weeks from Deshaun Watson and the offense. We're starting to get some play calling going that matches the skill sets on this team. I'm bullish for the rest of the season. I think undefeated through 12, 13 games is in our sights. 15 games were in the conversation. But that being said, we've got room to improve. And I think, you know, two losses, which I think I predicted, hope to, hope to goodness that's not in our future. I think one loss very well could be um, through the regular season. But, yeah, undefeated is just as likely to happen. Yeah, I think for where we stand now, we're certainly in line for a run at the college football playoff. And, and obviously an ACC championship would come with that. Um, however, going into the season, I didn't see us being at that point. I really thought that we'd have two losses on the year, and I thought one of those was going to come to Georgia Tech. So I think we are ahead of the game as far as I thought where we would be at halfway through the season. Um, I didn't think our offensive line was going to be as good as it is. Um, they kind of took a step back in the Boston College game, but their improvement throughout the year, and they kind of beat my expectations. Mitch Hyatt has looked really good. Um, Deshaun Watson hasn't played as well as I thought he might. I think he's a little rusty coming back from injury, but we're starting to see him progress and become better. Uh, Goldman's been really good. Um, And the defensive side of the ball, I thought we'd have a really good defense. I didn't think they'd be that good because I thought depth issues would come into play. But along the defensive line, guys have really stepped up. The linebackers, we are shallow there, but those starters have played really well in the secondary was as strong as we thought they'd be. So they're ahead of my expectations. And I think moving forward, I don't think there's any reason why we shouldn't be undefeated with an ACC championship and going to the college football playoff. Looking at who's on our schedule and how they perform this year uh, versus how we've performed and you ex- expect us to improve and we just have a ton of talent. So I fully, I think it's, for the Clemson fan base, it's a reasonable expectation for us to go undefeated and make the playoff. I, I, so I kind of disagree to, to some degree just because I think Florida State is a formidable opponent. We could lose them. They could legitimately be a top 10 team. They might even be better. Um, so we could still lose them, and that would be the one loss of the year. Coming into the season, I didn't think – I thought we matched up really well against Georgia Tech. As it turns out, everyone matches up really well against <laughs> Georgia Tech. I, I was a little bit worried about Louisville. We thought they were going to be better. They were, they've not lived up to their expectations. Um, but also, we all, we all kind of undermine Notre Dame a little bit. They tend to be overranked. They've actually they they've actually lived up to their ranking, especially with all the losses and injuries they've had. Yeah, that's a good point. They, if they would have been fully healthy, they might may have beaten us. But um, ultimately, we're, we're where we thought we would be. I, I tended to think we might have had one loss, um, maybe two, going through through the whole season. I was really worried about Louisville and FSU. But what's notable at this point is how much we're putting it. I don't know. Like in the, when you're looking at the schedule, and you know during the preseason, you look at like Miami at at NC State, and you're like, oh, those are easy wins. You know, at South Carolina, easy win. But now it's like, wow, we're about to face Miami, and I'm, you know, they're they're a good team. Kind of worried. Absolutely. So I feel like what's what still remains is can we continue to win these games against unranked teams who are flawed, are inferior opponents to us talent wise, and even just composition of team. Um, that's going to be the case against everyone but Florida State. They continue to get better. I don't think anyone really knows what type of team they are. Um, they they've been they play close games against Boston College, who we just you know put up 532 yards of offense on. 
Um, different circumstances for sure, but you know we'll see what we get with them. But two really tough matchups coming up on the road until we get them as well. If Boston College doesn't lose Darius Wade, their starting quarterback in that game against Florida State, Florida State only won 14 to nothing. Boston College has a chance to be in that and pull out a win. Yeah, well, and it's also like you have to recognize the fact that they've gotten better since that time, and they're a different team. And by the time we face them two weeks from now, they'll be an even better team. Well, maybe. Yeah, and I mentioned this in my interview with with Chile. Effectively, most years when we get we seem to get Florida State the last three four years in September. Um, I think this year certainly we were coming into the season we were like, oh great, good, we get them later. We'll have time to get our stuff in in order. I think we came out of the shoots pretty strong as a team. Um, they, they, on the other hand, have tried to get their footing, and now we're going to face them when they're starting to fire on all cylinders. So, um, yeah, it's kind of the one year it would have been better almost to face them in September. And kind of the opposite end of that is usually we've been getting Georgia Tech later in the year, and sometimes it takes them a while to get going and for guys to gel um, in that system. We got them early on this year. We don't know how they're going to finish out the season, but they obviously they haven't looked great against – uh, quality opponents this year, so kind of lucky in that respect, maybe, to get Georgia Tech early on. Definitely. Um, well, guys, I want to move us on to um, our Miami preview. Um, we've actually interviewed Jerry Steinberg. He is a writer over at State of the U on the SB Nation site for the Miami Hurricanes football team, actually all college, college sports um, programs there. Uh, but essentially, we'll flip it over here. Ben interviewed Jerry uh, just the other day, and uh, let's see what these guys had to say. We've got Jerry Steinberg from State of the U, uh, Miami Hurricanes uh, SB Nation site, on with us today. Uh, Jerry, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, guys, and good luck this week, and thank you for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Um, congrats, by the way, on your win against uh, Virginia Tech this weekend. Uh, thank you. Um, so let's kick it off here. Um, let's let's start talking about your coach, Al Golden. Uh, he appears to be on the hot seat this year. What's the general consensus among the Miami fan base about him right now? The general consensus is that his seat is hot as a Miami summer day in the middle of July. I mean, fans are not happy. Uh, before the start of the season, athletic director Blake James actually came out and said that, you know, the coaching staff knows they need to win, and he's been pretty – you know, laid back on the subject in previous years. So him just saying that tells me that they're definitely going to evaluate Golden. Uh, he did come out last week before the Florida State game and say no matter what happened, he would wait till the end of the year to evaluate Golden. But I, I think, you know, coming off a 6-7 and seven year with a team that produced several NFL first-round draft picks, several NFL players in, in total, uh, coming into this year, they're 4-2 and two now after the win against Virginia Tech, 1-1 one one in the ACC but the loss to Cincinnati was disappointing, and they're now 0 for 6 in the golden era against Florida State with a team that has talent, that has one of the better pocket quarterbacks in the country in Brad Kaya and has several good players on defense. Uh, I think it's now or never. I think that the general consensus is that if they win the ACC Coastal this year, he will be able to come back in 2016 as a head coach in Miami Hurricanes. Anything short of that, and it's anybody's guess, and certainly another six and seven season or anything along those lines, uh, mediocre record of any kind. Uh, you know, if they lose the teams like Virginia and Pittsburgh down the stretch, that that could be curtains for Golden. Yeah, it actually kind of reminds me of uh, Tommy Bowden uh, here back in the mid two thousands for Clemson. Um, 
So we hear that Golden flirted with Penn State a few years ago. Do you think that hurt his perception? You know, it's hard for me to answer for everybody. I know a lot of people um, were hurt by that. Now, at the same time, Golden um, was very loyal to Miami uh, when the Nevin Shapiro scandal came out, which happened almost immediately uh, when he started at UM. Uh, so he had to deal with that. And, um, you know, when he was sort of a coaching commodity and had opportunities to go other places, he stayed with Miami. So there, there is a sense of loyalty there. Uh, Penn State is his alma mater. So my take on that, Golden was very, very tight-lipped about that. Uh, I almost feel like people were, were as aggravated with Golden because of how he answered questions about Penn State as much as the fact that he flirted with Penn State. Um, to me, you know, just speaking for myself, he came out and he said, look, that's my alma mater, that's my dream job. You know, anytime they call me, I'm going to talk to them. Uh, I, I would have accepted that. But he kind of like, you know, didn't answer really any questions uh, firmly or directly about the situation. And I think, you know, to a man, people in the media know that he spoke with them. And they went a different direction with James Franklin. And, and I think almost his response is almost as much of an aggravating factor as the fact that he actually talked to Penn State because it's understandable. You know, I'm a University of Miami alum. Uh, back going back to the 90s and say I was you know writing for a different website and Miami came along was like hey do you want to write for our website of course that's my alma mater I, I don't think anybody can can fault him for that but I think yeah. the thing is being being upfront about it would have been the right way to go yeah absolutely I mean it, it's hard to knock a guy uh, especially to if he has an opportunity to take a job with his alma mater I mean we think with Dabo at Clemson if, if Alabama ever approached him um, it, it'd be hard to really hard to find fault in Dabo if he decided to, to either talk or even take a job with Alabama. So I totally uh, hear where you're coming from there. But yeah, just to be upfront about it and uh, just speak the truth, uh, you know, as a fan base and as a team, you kind of deserve that. Yep, I, I agree. All right, so let's talk about your 2015 season here. Miami's, uh, like you said, they're four and two right now, uh, one and one in the ACC after beating Virginia Tech uh, on Saturday. Uh, you still control your own destiny in the Coastal Division. Uh, what do you think it'll take to really close it out? Well, I, I look at the Coastal Division. Now, they got the win over Virginia Tech. We, we all know Virginia Tech is a flawed team. This is not, you know, the teams that were winning the ACC in the early 2000s. You know, this is not your classic Bud Foster defense, although they have some talent. Uh, they have a lot of problems at the quarterback position. Um, you know, they're, they're not a, a, a juggernaut on special teams anymore. So, you know, that, that was a good solid win for Miami. Now, you know, they've, they've got Clemson this week. If they could somehow beat Clemson, that would really, really uh, spark their season. Um, but right now you got Pitt and Duke on the top of that division, and Miami's got games direct against both of them. I don't think either of those teams are going to go undefeated, um, you know, in their games outside of playing Miami. Uh, a lot of these teams are going to knock each other off. I think Miami's just got a really uh, – beat the teams in their own division. If they can run the table in their division, beat Duke, beat Pitt, beat Virginia, uh, and so on, and beat North Carolina, then then they'll be set, um, even with a loss to Clemson. I, I think if they run the table against the teams within their own division, they'll get there. Now, in order for that to happen, there's going to have to be some improvement. Um, and I did see some improvement in some areas yesterday, but I see some of the same problems creeping up over and over again as you watch Miami play the second half against Nebraska, a game they should have won by 30 or 40 points and end up going to overtime. Uh, they commit a lot of mental errors. Uh, they commit a lot of penalties. Um, their offense, while terrific in between the 20s, and despite having one of the best quarterbacks in the country, they struggle in the red zone. Uh, 
they, they've cleaned up third downs now. They're 50% over the last two games on third down conversions. Before that, they're one of the worst teams in the country on third downs. Uh, defensively, they still sometimes struggle to tackle. But right now, uh, Al-Kadim Muhammad and Chad Thomas, two really, really talented defensive ends, are really elevating their play. So I've, I have some hope that the defense can get better and better as the season progresses. But they, they've got to clean up the penalties. They have to do a better job in the red zone. Uh, and, and they just have to maximize their talent going forward. And I, I think the Coastal's theirs to win. Now, you talk about their talent. Uh, we think Miami really has some talented players at the skill positions, uh, but it doesn't seem they've been able to win the games in the trenches. Uh, this reminds us a lot of Clemson teams in the recent past. Uh, Dabo has prioritized recruiting and development of the line play, and we're starting to see it bear fruit. Uh, with Miami, do you attribute the line performance to poor coaching, uh, soft recruiting, or, or something else? No, neither of those things because Art Kehoe, who's been with Miami over 20 years as the offensive line coach, is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. and He's he's renowned for developing talent. Uh, they, they've recruited pretty well. The thing is they have a very, very young offensive line. Uh, they lost uh, Eric Flowers, who's a top 10 pick to the New York Giants. Uh, they lost Shane McDermott, who was like a three- or four-year starter at center. Uh, they lost John Feliciano, who was a fourth or fifth round pick with the Raiders. So they're, they're having to replace a lot of players. They also lost uh, Kid Taylor Gabois, who before getting hurt started at uh, right tackle for them last year. So essentially they're replacing four starters this year. Now along the offensive line, you have Trevor Darling, who's having a really, really tough time in his sophomore year at left tackle. But he was a four, you know, a high four-star recruit. Um at center, you have Nick Linder, who was really, you know, not that highly touted, but played really well as a freshman last year and is continuing to play well this year at center. But some of the other positions, you got Danny Isadora, who has a lot of experience at guard, now shifting over the right tackle to take the place of Sonny Adogwu, who's a first-year starter and has been terrible. Uh, you got Alex Gall, who plays mostly left guard, who's a nice little player, uh, doesn't make a lot of mental mistakes, but is not – you know, the physically imposing type player that maybe Feliciano was last year. Uh, really what I think you have is an offensive line that's very, very young and is still building chemistry. But in the meantime, Brad Kai is taking a lot of hits back there. He took a ton of hits against Florida State, and he took a lot of punishment against Virginia Tech, so that's worrisome. Yeah, and we're starting to see the, a little bit of the same thing with Deshaun Watson for us. And you never want to see your quarterback, especially as talented, both Kaya and Watson are, to take a lot of hits because as the season goes on, that can really uh, really start to affect their play. Um, yeah, but especially a guy like Watson. I mean, he's he runs a lot and takes extra punishment on his own, so you, you don't want to get him hit in the pocket too much. I mean, I, I would that's how I would feel if I was a Clemson fan. No, absolutely, and especially with his injury history. Uh, we cringe every time we see him get hit, just hoping that he's going to get back up. So, yeah, absolutely a huge concern. Um, you kind of talked about, uh, touched on the, the recruiting there on the lines. Um, you know, in the 80s, 90s, and the heyday of Miami football, we really saw Miami dominate recruiting in Florida. Uh, since then, you've seen guys like Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, and even Dabo uh, come into Florida and really start to to steal some players from your backyard. You know, Florida's a huge recruiting hotbed for college football. Uh, why do you think this has happened, and what do you think it'll take to flip the script on that? Well, Miami's done a pretty decent job. you got guys like Duke Johnson, you know, who's all-time leading rusher from the area. I mean, they've kept some kids, but you're right. Uh, like, to me, every time I watched Amari Cooper catch a touchdown pass for Alabama last year, I, I was thinking to myself, this kid should be on Miami because, you know, He's a local kid. 
Um, you know, some of the problems that Miami's had um, most recently, as I alluded to, the Shapiro scandal, uh, reductions in scholarships, um, you know, other programs being able to negative recruit, um, the fact that they just haven't been able to, to put successful teams on the field also hurts them. Kids want to go to programs that they know are going to win. Um, uh, you know, it, Al Golden's not a bad recruiter. He's actually a pretty good recruiter. And, and offensive coordinator James Coley is also a very good recruiter. Um, I think if they, if they, if this regime is going to be the long-term solution, uh, winning on the field will be the biggest um, impetus for these kids to stay at home. Uh, as long as Miami's going six and seven, seven and five, these kids are going to go to places is like Alabama. These kids are going to go to places, Texas. Uh, I mean, you name it. They're going to go to, to these other high-profile programs um, because if you're not winning at Miami, why you – I mean, even even the kids that want to stay home uh, want to go to programs that they think are going to be successful and they want to play in big ball games and, and conference championship games and national championship games. So they have to get the success on the field to flip the script. And, and I mean, that's really the biggest thing. If they do go to a different regime, if they do replace Al Golden at the end of this year, uh, they need a charismatic coach to come in. Um, you know, the old days back in the 80s when Miami revitalized, you know, Howard Stellenberger was legendary for, you know, if you've seen the documentary The U, showing up at kids' houses with his corncob pipe and just, you know, that colorful personality and guys wanted to play for him. So they either need to win on the field, or if they don't win on the field, they need a new regime with a charismatic leader to, to flip the script and get more of these kids to stay home. So you touched base there kind of uh, uh, about the U and the, the swagger that they had back in the 80s, and we've all seen those 30 for 30s and remember growing up with some amazing Miami football teams. Um, some say the U's swagger kind of died in the Coker era, era, which was kind of an extension of Butch Davis's teams. Um, how has the image change affected the program, and where do you see it going? Well, you know, I, I think that whole thing's overrated. I mean, I love watching the documentaries, and I love that Miami used to be that in-your-face program, and they not only beat you, they beat you up. But if you look at their most recent national championship in 2001, it was built around kids like Ken Dorsey and Ed Reed and Andre Johnson and Bryant McKinney and players like that who really – didn't have that they they played with swag but they didn't have that in your face approach they were quiet um they were solid uh citizens off the field um they were leaders on the field and and you didn't need that necessarily uh 80s 90s thing in, in order to win a national championship so i kind of think that whole thing's overrated um I, I think if they start winning on the field and kids want to stay home and they'll be able to get the kids they want they don't need to you know Everybody remembers the in the documentary the Cotton Bowl where they committed like 200 yards worth the worth of penalties against Texas and they still won 46 to three. I think you'd win 46 to three went out to 200 yards of penalties and they they can they can have a clean, sustainable program and still have a swag on the field um, without without having to go back to the old days. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about kids staying home. Miami doesn't seem like a terrible place to live either. Oh no, definitely not. And um, as a University of Miami graduate, of course, I'm, you know, biased uh, to the university. But it's a it's a private school, with I think about nine thousand undergraduates. You get a very it's the best education you can get in the state of Florida. Um, it's like going to school every day at a country club. I mean, the campus is filled with palm trees, and you know, there's beautiful women and lots of things to do nearby. And I mean, I I wouldn't trade my four years at the University of Miami for anything. And, you know, just 
I, I've played this game with one of the writers on my staff one time who was also a University of Miami graduate. And, and we mostly we play this game. We talk about basketball kids that end up going to other schools. Like, why don't kids want to come to University of Miami to play basketball? Because they still do well in football recruiting, and they still have that tradition. And we keep asking ourselves, they keep losing out in some of the recruiting basket, you know, recruiting battles for basketball. And we're like, why wouldn't you want to go there? And I can't ever answer why you wouldn't, other than maybe just they don't have tradition in basketball because it's a great place to go to school. You're going to get a terrific education, and you're going to have four of the best years of your life. So, I mean, to me, I'm very biased, but it's a great, great place to go to school. And no matter what happens, I don't think Miami will ever completely fall off the map because kids are going to want to go there. Yeah, and I totally agree. I think even with the recent struggles that Miami is still viewed as an elite uh, school and, and program there. Um, so let's, uh, you mentioned how beautiful the campus is. Now let's talk about kind of the game day atmosphere. Do you think playing at Joe Robbie Stadium off campus hurts that atmosphere at all? Uh, I do, and, and this is a conversation that I can do an entire show with you on. Um, Joe Robbie Stadium is what it used to be called. Now it's called Sun Life Stadium, but it's also been called Pro Player Park. Um, what it is is it's the Miami Dolphins facility, and it's about 45 minutes away from campus. Um, we've done articles on stateoftheu.com. If you are really have a lot of time on your hands and look through our archives, um, they've tried to do most recently a nearby stadium close to campus with, uh, with, with Beckham's group. David Beckham, the soccer player, is looking to build a, a soccer stadium nearby, and that was going to be like a uh, 40,000-seat uh, arena, and it was going to be a lot closer to campus, and Miami was going to play some of their games there, but then that fell through. Um, the, the campus itself, now they, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they built the basketball arena on campus, and it's only an 8,000-seat arena. And they've done well with that. But the campus itself is not big enough to sustain a football stadium. And if you've ever uh, driven in South Florida right now, especially the area near the campus, US-1, where kind of you get south of Miami and you bleed into Coral Gables before you head you know, down further south, um, there are there is some public transportation, but mostly it's people driving and the traffic is terrible as it is. So there are, there are huge obstacles to getting either a stadium closer to campus or a stadium on campus, which to me will never happen, uh, and a lot of people agree with me on that. So what they've done is they've renovated Sun Life Stadium, and, you know, not a lot of there, – there's other problems um, with where the campus – with where the stadium is, you know, in relationship to the campus uh, that hurts attendance. Um, there's a lot of – activities that you're competing with even with a great tradition like the university of miami football has you're gonna have a lot of south floridians that are gonna want to do other things um so so it's a tough sell there i think i i know this is gonna sound you know cliche but winning is the panacea for everything um you know even dolphins uh even the miami heat when they had lebron james and Dwayne wade you know if they hit a little slump you know, you got late arriving fans, fans leaving early. It's just a fair weather city, to be honest with you, and it's because the weather's so good. So I don't know that you're ever going to have um, an atmosphere, no matter where the University of Miami plays, where you're going to have constant sellouts. Um, I think when the team wins, uh, the attendance is much better, and, and that's the only way to really get it consistently that way. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, winning can be the cure for all your ills. Um, so – I've never I've, – I've been to that stadium once. Unfortunately, it was for uh, Clemson's uh, uh, Orange Bowl debacle against West Virginia. So don't think I'll be going back anytime soon. 
Um, so let's get to the game here. Um, you're Al Golden. How do you game plan for a, a top five Clemson defense with a really good running game, Deshaun Watson, and all the uh, all the weapons we have at the wide receiver position? Well, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really most impressed with Clemson's defense, uh, considering how much talent they put in the NFL. I knew Shaq Lawson would be a beast, but I, I think I think the entire unit as a whole um, is playing well. Of course, uh, Miami fans um, that really follow recruiting are very familiar with J. Ron Curse because he was originally committed, a verbal commit to Miami, of course, um, before deciding to go to Clemson. But uh, you, you've got terrific corners, um, a very solid front seven. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm very concerned with how Miami's uh, offensive line that's been struggling is going to match up with those guys. I, I worry about Kaya taking too many hits. Um, Kaya has been spectacular the past couple weeks, but hanging in the pocket and, and making precise passes despite having people hanging all over him. But he hasn't faced – I mean, the Florida State guys were pretty athletic, but he hasn't faced a defense quite this complete uh, uh, this year. So it's going to be a great, great challenge for hanging in the pocket. Um, I know those guys are going to be hitting him, and he's going to have to really do a good job. And They might have to run maybe some more – you know, three-step his hands quickly – uh, when Miami has the ball. Of course, Miami defensively has been extremely inconsistent. Uh, they have a ton of playmakers, but uh, Deshaun Watson can beat you with his legs. He's extremely accurate uh, throwing the ball. He can beat you downfield. He has good weapons to throw the ball to. And um, uh, the Wayne Gallman kids really running the ball well for, for you guys too. So um, you're going to be facing a lot of different um, – you know, you're facing a lot of different uh, variables when you face this Clemson team. And, you know, I look at Clemson and I look at Miami. Aside from Miami's offensive line um, right now not playing well, I don't see huge differences in talent. Both teams have really good quarterbacks. Uh, both teams have talented players on defense. The biggest difference, though, why Clemson is a top-10 team and Miami is struggling to try and win the ACC Coastal is the thing I really, really like about Clemson and I'm envious of as a Miami um, alumnus fan, media member. They really know their identity. When I, when I watch Clemson play – I feel like everybody knows their job. Um, you know, they're going to rely heavily, obviously, on Watson, but the offensive players all know their roles, and the defensive guys are attacking. Um, they they know it's ass of them, and they execute. Miami is still a team to me, and, and this is one of the things that Al Golden gets criticized heavily for. You know, you don't know from week to week. Are we an attacking team? Are we a zone team? Uh, you know, are we a bend but don't break defense? Or are we, a, you know, a takeaway defense? I mean, from week to week, it changes. And I always feel like the kids know who they are on the field. And, and that's where Clemson has a huge advantage in this game. They really uh, play to their maximum potential. And, and, I mean, I know the whole thing with the Clemsoning in the past is something that's come up and they don't always play their potential. But I feel like this year's team really has a sense of itself when I watch them play. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I, I think as a fan base, we've kind of put that in the past. The national media is still bringing it up, but you know, it just it hasn't happened uh, in a while now, especially under Dabo. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to this game. I think probably with Kaya, the best quarterback that we're going to see all year. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out. So let's get down to it. What's your prediction for this game? Uh, I think it's going to be a good, hard-fought game. Um, I haven't thought about a score. You got got me on the spot here, but if I had to pick a score, I would probably go with uh, Clemson 28, Miami 24. Uh, I think Miami's going to play some of their best football. 
uh, uh, this week because they, they tend to play better uh, when they play better teams. They, they really played well against Florida State in the second half. But I just think that Clemson's got a formula. Um, they've got the experience right now uh, playing in these type games. I mean, coming off of a very, very tough win against Notre Dame. Um, you know, they really took care of Boston College pretty well this weekend. Uh, I just think they're the more confident team. And in a close game coming down the stretch, um, they'll, they'll make the plays, and Miami probably won't. Well, great. Jerry, thanks for the insight, and uh, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, Clemson fans, if you want to kind of read up uh, some more on the Miami game, uh, go to stateoftheu.com uh, and, yeah, get some good insight there. Uh, again, Jerry, thanks for having us. Hey guys, good luck this week. Good luck this weekend coming up, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see you guys in Charlotte at the end of the year after this one. All right, we'll look forward to it. Thanks again. Good work with you. Good stuff. Uh, thanks, Ben, and uh, thank you to Jerry for joining us. Uh, one of the things I took away or found most interesting there, um, in addition to what Jerry had to say about Miami, it's great to get that insight. Uh, but Ben, you touched on the comparison between Al Golden and the Tommy Bowden years at Clemson, where I, you know, a lot of good things happened under Tommy. I want to give him his due. Um, I thought he was a good coach for Clemson at the time for most of those years, but disappointing years as well. There were some moments that we did not live up to expectations. And I know sometimes we as Clemson fans have lofty expectations, but anyway, I think that's what they're facing right now in Miami as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now I'll, I'll say this is that I think Tommy Bowden did a lot more good um, in his time at Clemson than Al Golden, if he does kind of get the boot this year, depending on how their season plays out. And, you know, Tommy Bowden got the facilities things going, and he did have some really big wins, and he had a really good record against our arch rival in South Carolina, whereas Al Golden doesn't, you know, with Miami against FSU. But kind of what it boiled down to me was, as I was talking to Jerry, it just seems like when they were talking about they have a lot of talent, especially at the skill positions, but they're not getting a lot done with that. It just reminds me of that era when we had a lot of good skill guys, but, you know, we couldn't win the games in the trenches. Yeah, and, and they've recruited really well. It's, I mean, not the same Miami of the early 2000s when they were, you know, the best, you know, recruiting the best players in the nation, but they've recruited in the top 25 in some cases over the last, I'm talking about like the last four years, in the top 10, and then, you know, they, they haven't really put it together. And it kind of goes down to, like you said, it's in the trenches. You go back to that Alabama game from 08. I mean, you can't play with those type of teams, those powerhouse teams. It doesn't matter how good your skill players are. Uh, one other point I think that you touched on, which was nice, was the Penn State alma mater affinity that Al Golden had. Um, that you know he was considered for that position, et cetera, the fact that that's his alma mater. I've had this conversation actually with some Alabama fans um, talking about Dabo. They seem to all love Dabo. He's one of their guys, um, having been a walk-on there, a player there. Um, they, I think they're, you know, I just wasn't sure like around college football, around the SEC, around the South, how Dabo is perceived by other fan bases. We know how South Carolina fans feel, but Alabama loves him. You know, let me ask you guys, would you be mad if, let's say, Nick Saban were to hang him up after this season or next season? You know the first one of the top two names they're going to throw out there is Dabo Sweeney. How are you going to feel? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing um, because I don't think Saban stays around that much longer. He's only got so much more to do at Alabama. I don't see him as being a 
Joe Paterno or Bobby Bowden type. I see him as being a different, you know, type of guy and coach. Uh, so he is going to leave at some point. If Dabo continues to be as successful as he has been at Clemson, then Alabama is certainly going to come after him. Obviously, I hope that's later rather than sooner. But, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It's going to happen. My only hope is that if it does happen before Dabo manages to get a national championship at Clemson, that he wants to see a job finished out. Um, but I would be hurt, obviously, but at the end of the day, it's his alma mater. Um, you know, it's, he played football there. It, it'd be really hard to be mad at him just for the decision to leave or even talk to them about that job. If he's shady about it, how he goes about doing it, I guess you can, if he does that wrong, uh, you can be a little disgruntled about that. But at the end of the day, if he does decide to go, which ultimately, let's face it, he may, you can't really fault him for that. I think he's going to go. I think he would go. I, I don't know if he'd go immediately. Um, but I think he would. And again, I get us get us a title first. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I can also see a situation where he doesn't, though. Well, first, I don't. I mean, we don't want to talk about Nick Saban too much here, but I don't necessarily think he would go anywhere. I don't know if there's a better job, you know, aside from maybe USC, which that vacancy just came. How about Coach and Andrew Luck at, for the Colts? Well, he's already tried the NFL. I mean. That's a Andrew Luck's compelling reason to go to the NFL, but I I just don't see him going back. He did not do well. He didn't mesh well with NFL players. Like that kind of micromanagement that he's able to get away with on the college level, you just can't do that in the NFL. Too many egos. Um, I I don't see him going back. But I mean, that's well. Let's go back to the question at hand. Would I be mad? And absolutely not. He has every right. I mean, that it's our alma mater. It's Clemson. We like we get it. And. I hope he does win a championship, but I hope by the time that, that comes around, I hope Clemson is like a little bit above Alabama in terms of the actual quality of the job, which is don't like that's a possibility. That's gonna be tough. They've got the history. Just six years ago, like before he got there, maybe it was a little bit more than six years ago. He like, got there it, it was uh oh seven? Yeah, it's, yep. So nearly so eight years ago. It wasn't that great of a job at that time. Florida was a great job. Anyway, yeah, and that situation's fluid. We've seen what Florida's done and what Tennessee has done recently, and how you know those teams—they used to be powerhouses. They're not as good as they used to be, but and also the prestige of the SEC is starting to take a hit as there's become more parity in college football. Great point. Look at like the two national championship contenders from 2005: Texas, USC. Uh, neither one of them are doing so hot right now. Tennessee's not doing so hot. The SEC a little bit watered down. I mean, you never know. Clemson could be the, the team that, that's going to reign for the next 10 years, and Alabama could take a back seat. Yeah, never but know. I, I still think Alabama is always going to be a good job. It's not going to be a Mississippi State. It's not going to be a, a Vanderbilt, Kentucky, or South Carolina. It's Alabama. It's They're always going to be above that. They're funded. They're Yeah, that would be our only hope in him staying, I think, at that time, is if he, he has this program that's recruiting on such a higher level, why would he want to take a huge step back when or, he's got such a great thing and going? And he's ingrained in the community. He, does, I mean, he is. Clemson is his life right now, so... That could be a deciding factor. I mean, it's speculation at this point. It's kind of depressing to, to talk about, so maybe let's just move on. <laughs> Good enough. Um, all right, we got, got a big one this weekend, guys. Um, noon game, noon kickoff, 9 a.m. for us, so it's going to be wake up, roll down the hill, possibly shower, and uh, go watch Clemson. So season for Miami thus far, they are 4-2 and two coming in. Um, they have losses against Cincinnati, I believe that was a Thursday night game at Cincinnati. They also lost to Florida State, 
They beat Virginia Tech this past weekend, so they're 1-1 one one in the ACC. At this point, they're tied for third in the Coastal, but at only 1-1, one one, um, they've got pretty much their whole or a remainder of their um, conference season ahead of them. They started 3-0. and I don't think anyone you know, felt threatened by Miami, or they weren't even ranked at the time that they went into um, Cincinnati. Um, but they, they lost two in a row, came back and, and beat Virginia Tech pretty handily. Um, so overall, I mean, I don't know. This, this seems like one of the better Miami teams that we've seen in the last two, three years um, from Al Golden. But he is very much on the hot seat, as you discussed with Jerry Steinberg. Uh, so they, in terms of their team this year, what, what we can expect, they really haven't been able to put teams away. They've gone up on Nebraska, um, they've gone up on a couple of other teams and sort of let them off the mat. Um, in some ways, not unlike your Clemson Tigers, but the difference here is um, I think they've committed a lot of mental mistakes where Clemson's been, been very disciplined. You'd question if that's, a, it's a, if that's coaching. Do they lack focus? Um, you know, committing penalties in inopportune moments, extending drives for their for their um, their opponents, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for a team that's trying to save their coach's job. So, um, in terms of I, you could kind of say like we're facing a an out of sorts Miami team, but definitely one that's very potent offensively, um, and that could certainly shock a Clemson team if we're not equally focused. Yeah, I mean, offensively they're actually very talented. Um, Overall, and they've kind of across the board, they've actually got some good skill position players on both sides of the ball. They've had trouble, yeah, putting teams away this year, but so have we against Louisville and Notre Dame. Uh, granted, I think more higher quality opponents than, let's say, Nebraska um, or Virginia Tech, but we've seen that on our side of the ball as well. Um, I think it's a good point. Do they lack focus, and how do you tie that to coaching? Whereas Clemson, we, we have been more disciplined. We're not heavily penalized, even though we do have a, a fairly young team. Yeah, I mean, across the board, there's I mean a lot of things to look at. This is a different team than we've faced uh, all year. I think Dabo says the best offense that we've faced. And, I mean, that that's probably true. I don't know. Notre Dame might be actually a little bit better. Um, you know, why not give credit to the team you're about to, uh, about to play? Yeah, it's Coach Speak. Coach 100%. Speak, yeah. It's the best quarterback that we face, even though Deshaun Kaiser is turning out to be a really good quarterback. Yeah, he, he's no fluke. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser's good. Uh, Brad Kaya is is good. He's been very accurate. I think the one, I guess, redeeming thing or the thing that gives me hope, we, they their offensive line's not great. Looking at matchups, we do match up really well against them. Yeah, I think this is an opportunity where I, I believe their left tackle is the weak link on that O-line. There's other spots that can get exposed. I mean, Scott Pagano, wow, he could have a field day with that center. Um, but I think you could could see Shaq Lawson's number called quite a bit in this game. Let's hope that's the case. Yeah, and Quacking Tigers said, you know, he's worried about the pass rush. Well, you know, this is like this is Shaq Lawson's perfect time to really show that he can get to the passer. I mean, he's shown he's shown everything else. Um, he's been disruptive in the run game, he, and he's gotten to the passer. It's just a matter of like you got to get to him quick because Brad Kaya he makes good decisions. He has what one interception on the year? Yeah, ten TDs to one interception. And it's not just their left tackle that is weak. It's both tackle positions are actually struggling this year. And, and honestly, their whole offensive line. Uh, the amazing thing is, is that Brad Kaya has been such a solid passer this year, despite of all of that. He leads the ACC in passing yards with almost 300 a game. And again, TD, 10 TDs to one interception. Yeah, part of, part of the efficacy of Brad Kaya in the passing game has been 
the play of his wide receivers. They they're Miami. They can recruit talent at the skill positions. Um, some names names to know, names to look for. Uh, Stacy Coley and Rashawn Scott are their their leading wideouts from a catches standpoint. They looked pretty great against Virginia Tech. I think I would chalk as much of that up to injury to Kendall Fuller on Virginia Tech, where they've got. I mean, imagine a world where, knock on wood, um, you got Tankersley as your lead corner, and then you've got, you know, we're digging into that depth chart to cover a really talented passing game. That's a bit what VT was up against last week, uh, but Miami's certainly skilled, and they've got another threat, Herb Waters. I think he's going to be more of a, is he playing in the slot? Oh, I'm not point? sure, but he's actually okay. the second leading catcher on their team this year. So, I mean, essentially what we're saying is that our secondary is going to be challenged um, and it goes beyond Mac. We're really going to see what Tank can do because he's going to go up again and get some quality wide receivers. And this isn't Notre Dame where these guys drop the ball. You know, these aren't talented guys that drop the ball. These guys can catch. Um, they're solid skill position players on the outside, and they're really going to test us. Yeah, and there's no monsoon, so that's that's going to be good for them. Um, it is Florida. That can happen on a moment's notice. Good point. We're not at a hurricane season yet. <laughs> Well, let me predict, like, because like McKenzie Alexander not having an, a, an interception at this point is kind of improbable. Well, not, maybe not necessarily. Let's maybe this is the game that he gets it. Like Brad Kaya being very accurate. I I sure hope so because you're gonna have to buy the bar shots at 9 a.m. I do I do owe. Is it Fireball? What would what you shot, guys prefer? Yeah, what shot do we take at 9 a.m.? Let's kick it to the comment section on SCS. There you go. If we need recommendations, if McKenzie Alexander <laughs> gets an interception, I'm buying shots between nine and twelve a.m. Yeah. So anyway, so he's gonna be he's gonna be in the passing game, and and like this might be his chance to actually get an interception. Yeah, so. I think this may be a case though where they do have several talented wide receivers that a team like Miami can afford to have Mac lock down one of them and they have other options. Whereas certain teams only have one really good wide receiver that Mac covers and they, ha- they have to go to him anyway. So I don't see his opportunities here being as great as they would against maybe some other teams. Well, and where we've seen this defense, I hesitate to use the word struggle because I don't think we have it all this season, but where we've seen yardage get picked up is on delayed sort of timing routes or you know delay where where the opposing team's offensive line can get some protection and then they'll hit a player over the middle we saw that a lot in the notre dame game that enabled them to come back we saw that here and there in boston college's sustained drives um i don't think miami's got the line for that i think we will get that pass rush but sort of that intermediate yardage situation that could be where where miami makes their bones um i think it is going to be a case where brad kai is going to have to release the ball quickly Kevin Dodd and Shaq Lawson will be up in his, his grill all game. So can the likes of our linebackers sort of play good coverage and protection? We might, we might miss Corin Wiggins quite a lot in this game. Well, I, I think that's a big key. I think if we can get a pass rush even out of the, uh, the front four and get Kaya out of the pocket, you know, he's a really solid passer within the pocket. He's still developing as a passer on the run. So if we can get some activity back there and get a pass rush, get Pagano in there to blow some uh, plays up on the center or Wilkins or whoever, and then really get him on the outside, that gives us an opportunity to kind of take him out of his game, and he becomes a less accurate passer when he's in those situations. Yeah, can we just rush four? If we can do that, then I think that's going to mitigate any weakness by the linebacker, that sideline to sideline speed that we're not sure if B.J. Goodson and Ben Bower, that might be their only weakness is having that lateral quickness. 
uh, their coverage skills. So, yeah, can our front four, with their weak offensive line, win that matchup, get to the passer, uh, hopefully create a few sacks? Let's definitely call that a key to the game. Um, Another key to the game is going to be if Miami does happen to strike first blood and get an early lead, um, are we able to disrupt their running game and sort of make them one-dimensional? We'll talk about what aspect of their offense you guys think Brent Venables should attack. We've proven pretty effective at picking one and just shutting it down. But uh, firstly, I wanted to talk about Joseph Yearby, their lead running back. Um, He leads their team in, in rushing. He's putting up 5.6 yards per carry. Even behind a struggling offensive line, um, he's still been able to move the ball. Not as much against the Florida State. You saw his, I think, college, or sorry, high school teammate, um, or definitely, you know, friend growing up, Dalvin Cook, just, you know, put up way, a way better performance than Joseph Yearby did. But certainly he's a, he's the type of runner that could keep the chains moving um, if, we're, if they're trying to protect the lead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dalvin Cook and Yerby were actually in the same year. You know, when Clemson was locked into Dalvin Cook, he was actually the lower-rated prospect over Yerby. Um, so the, the guy's got talent. Maybe the offensive line is really bad, but for one, it could be a good test for Clemson with that maybe that s- smaller, I don't know, scat bat. I don't know what you want to call you know Dalvin Cook, but Yerby's very similar just in, in his running style. So for one, it's a good test. But also, yeah, how will Brent Venables bring bring the pressure? Is he going to send Bimble wear up the up the gaps to try to, to offset that run game? Um, that'll be, I think that'll be because of Yerby's uh, big play capability. That'll be another uh, key to the game is how can we limit him yeah. and can we do it behind the line of scrimmage? Because he's the kind of guy like like Cook. You make that second level defender miss, you're you're taking it to the house. And I don't know if it's Yerby that we try to shut down. Like what you saw with Notre Dame, our key to the game was shutting down Procise. We were going to make a freshman quarterback on the road like Kaiser beat us. If you try to do that here, I feel like Kaya could pick you apart. So I believe the game plan is going to be let's limit limit Kaya's weapons and options, hopefully with a pass rush, and then you know sort of make Yerby beat us. And that's where I think our, our really aggressive and effective linebacker game is going to, going to swallow that up. Yeah, and again, it's easy to get a rack up uh, running yards with a bad offensive line against like Bethune, Cookman, or Florida Atlantic, teams like that. But, you know, last two games, Virginia Tech and Florida State, he hasn't gotten a ton of yards. And we're going to be the best defense they face all year up to this point and probably all year period. So I think we can handle it. You can on the, the two guys, a defensive tackle, regardless who they are, can they get enough pressure in there and make those tackles to stop year? Because, again, if he gets to the second level, I get a little bit worried. Fair enough. So um, we'll touch on score predictions here, but certainly I think the Miami offense has us a little bit concerned over are we going to be able to stop all their weapons. Um, I think we're confident. The defense has shown good good skills so far, uh, but maybe we, we have yet to face a test like this at the quarterback position at least. Um, guys, I want to move on to when Clemson uh, is on offense. So Miami's defense, what do we know about them? Uh, in addition to losing games to Cincinnati – um, they did lose one to Florida State. Um, they allowed Nebraska to claw back into that game. I don't think Nebraska is a very good team overall. Um, in addition to that, their senior linebacker, Raphael Kirby, uh, is out for the season with a lower leg injury. That might be ankle-related. Not quite sure there. But he was their leading tackler. Um, started 19 straight games. I think he was a major leader on that defense. I'm sure he'll be on the sideline you know, 
rooting his guys on. But um, to get him out of this game, Miami still wasn't known for their defense necessarily. This could be a big blow to them, especially with a Clemson team that can beat you so many different ways. Yeah, but they've got a guy, Jawan Young, uh, stepping into Phil's role. And by all accounts, he has a really high upside, and they think he's ready to do so. Um, this could be a situation where, we, like we saw last year, with so many quality starters on Clemson's defense, you got all these guys waiting in the wing that didn't get much playing time. And, well, those guys go off in the NFL, and you see how good these other guys are that have stepped up. So, again, it may not hurt as bad as it seems on the surface. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh like throwing in Jalen Williams right now at our linebacker spot behind Ben Bulware. It's something about, yeah, there's something to be said for getting that experience um, and, versus like just throwing you in there because you're a four-star, five-star guy. So I think that's a, it's a positive for Clemson. I hate it for the, you know, the linebacker there that's injured, but uh, that, that's, that's good news. So one area that Miami does scare me a bit, um, they're crushing it at turnovers this year. Uh, they lead the, the nation at a plus 13 turnover margin. Again, they have played some weaker schools where some of those have come, come out. And their two losses against competent Power 5 opponents, um, they're basically only plus one in the turnover margin. So that gives me some hope. But Clemson also, I think we've been giving the ball away quite a bit. We're minus two in each of the last two games. Um, so that's an area where you know if you go on the road, you're giving them an extra two drives and shortening yourself two drives. Um, that's really where that could be a big difference. Um, so that's something I think we're going to have to correct, hopefully with some injury issues, et cetera. Um, it's not a big deal for us, but I'd like to see more of a focus from Deshaun on pass selection, um, decision-making there, as well as um, not really, I mean, we haven't been burned by, by fumbles too, too far, so much uh, thus far this year, um, but we'll see. I think turnovers are going to be a big key. Yeah, I mean, five of those of that plus 13 were, was against Florida Atlantic. They were plus five in that game. Uh, they only ended up winning 44-20, to 20, and I would think on Clemson's side of the ball, if we end up plus five on a team like Florida Atlantic, the, the gap in the scores is much different than that. Although, there is some area for concern, um, especially with Sean Watson. We've been, uh, he's through, thrown a couple interceptions this year. We haven't seen a lot of fumbles, which has been fortunate, but... Again, the key to winning games and moving forward and getting in the playoff discussion and playing quality teams, you really need to limit these turnovers. Cody, I guess um, from what you've seen from this offense, like when we've been most effective, what what style of play do you think has worked well for us that you'd like to see employed here? Well, for one, it's balance. Balance play calling, um, mixing it up between Wayne Gallman and the wide receivers. But also, you got a few guys on the outside, including our tight end, um, who are from Florida. I mean, could we see like a, a little bit of a coming out party for like Deion Kane, you know, Jordan Leggett, uh, Ray Ray McLeod? If we can mix it up, get these guys involved, I mean, it, I mean that's where we want to be. We've talked about, we, you know, we, it's well documented. We talked why Deshaun Watson and the turnover issue, what, why that is, Mike Williams being gone, not probably having a really trusted receiver, not feeling comfortable in the passing game. Saw it on Tiger Illustrated earlier this week how – um, just the timing of having to go from one receiver to another, getting out of your breaks, everything's different. Um, so you have to adjust, and maybe not just his rust coming back from you know injury, but also having to adjust new receivers, not having that big and very reliable target in Mike Williams. That's made a difference. So you know, get, getting back to your you know original question, like I think, I think just having uh, being back in Florida for a couple of these wide, young wide receivers, uh, I think that's something to look out for. 
yeah, you think that could give them the extra spark, maybe having some family members and friends down there come to the game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, you know, we didn't talk about recruiting really, but it's uh, Ray Ray McLeod mentioned that when he was in high school, he actually might have been in middle school. He remembers that Jacoby Ford, the last time we went down to that Sun Life Stadium and saw that uh, game-winning reception by Jacoby Ford. Overtime Kyle Parker to Jacoby Ford. Yeah. <laughs> he remembers that. And, I mean, you gotta, you have to think that a kid, that's probably his first memory of Clemson. You know, it's meaningful and maybe what propelled him to get to ultimately become a Tiger. So maybe we'll have uh, – it might be uh, something that we'll see the effect later on down the road. But uh, recruiting in Florida, anytime you can play a Florida team – it's always a positive. Indeed. Um, ben, maybe from what you've seen and read up on, on Miami and from what you remember from your chat with Jerry, uh, what gives you hope about this Miami defense for Clemson to control this game, uh, et cetera? Like, what have you seen? What have you read to that effect? Well, uh, well I guess I'll start with Deshaun Watson. I, I do understand that Mike Williams is out, but, again, his accuracy on throws hasn't been as good. Uh, the second half against Boston College, you really started to see that improve. So I think that needs to continue, especially against a team that does, you know, cause so many turnovers. Their DB, Artie Burns, leads the ACC with five interceptions. Um, but I really do uh, see us, we need to control the, the game with the, with the running game. Gallman needs to get into the secondary. They have uh, bad tackling has been an issue for them this year, and they tend to give up big chunks of yards versus the pass and the run. And with all the talent that we have on our team, I can see us really excelling and really taking over the game. Um, they are going to be the best offense we've seen all the year. So I think that we need to control it more on our offensive side of the ball to really help the defense. You, you think they'll be better than Notre Dame? I think with their quarterback and their playmakers, absolutely. Maybe not with the, not with the running game. I don't think so. But we even held ProSize. Yeah, they are at home, so against those seventeen fans in front of those seventeen people. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's let's quickly wrap with special teams, and we can talk about what we're looking for and some predictions here. Uh, it looks like Miami, one of their strong suits, has been in their place kicking game. Um, their kicker Michael Badgley is eighty four percent on the year. He's had nineteen field goal attempts, which is two or three times more than Hugel, I would say, at this stage. Um, so he seems to be pretty competent. You know, let's hope it's not as close of a game where it comes down to the kickers deciding this one. We will see. could be two high-powered offenses in a shootout. Um, but we will see. I think they've been somewhat limited in their ability to return kicks and get, get very good field position there. Um, and they don't have any touchdowns in that game. We don't either, but it seems like our kick coverage, which has been improved of late, um, may have the edge here in special teams. So um, maybe nothing more to report there, but overall I don't think it's – they're not tipping the scales too much in their direction. Yeah, I guess the only thing that I would say is if it came down to a kick um, to win a game, I think Miami fans would be more confident in their kicker than we would be in ours. Touche. <clears throat> okay, let's turbo around here. Um, Cody, we're going to go with you. What are the keys on offense for Clemson? It's, I mean, we saw it a little bit in the Boston college game. It's accuracy from Deshaun Watson. He, he threw two interceptions. The rest of the game, he was more or less great, but two interceptions, you can't, you can't have that. He's got eight, or I'm sorry, seven on the year. He's got to find accuracy. He's got to find comfort in the pocket. The offensive line has to improve. Uh, they do have, you know, an okay defensive line. 
So I just want to see that continued progression on offense. And it, the running game is going to be there. Wayne Gallman's going to do what he's going to do, I, I feel like. Um, he's not going to break any plays like C.J. Spiller, but he will get you your five or six yards You know, when, you know, know, through the, the tackles. Got to see Deshaun Watson becoming more accurate, getting more playmakers on the outside involved. Yeah, I think really establishing the run game and does the O-line take a step forward again this week versus kind of the step back they took last week. Granted, we were playing a really good uh, Boston College defense. The other thing I really want to see if Deion Kane and Zach Brooks' roles really start to increase from game to game as they have been. Uh, Kane has been a really good deep threat, has been very athletic. Um, and then Zach Brooks... Uh, more of a speedster back and create can create more things um, in the passing game out of the backfield. I touched on this in my midseason recap, if you will, um, in our last post. I think for Clemson, for me, the key on offense is going to be adjustments. Um, I hope we call we've done the right type of coaching and scouting to understand what what might work against this Miami defense, what to expect. In the event that that is not going well in our first three four series. Can we find other ways to get playmakers involved on this offense? Um, I would love to sit here and say, yeah, let's run the ball. Let's keep, keep Brad Kaya on the sidelines. But we might not have that luxury if they come out with an early lead. So, yes, I think it's important to get all these guys involved. Let's see if Skelliot can find the right alchemy to make that happen. Is it Skelliot? Or is it, what is it? Selliot? I'm going Skelliot. Uh, I think we've ch- talked about that enough probably in the Shake in the Southland comments. But... You gotta acknowledge both coaches, and um, his name is Jeff Scott. So, Skelliot. Anyway, move yep. on to defense. Ben, kick us off there. Like, what are what is the in one sentence defensive keys of this game? You know, if you just add a T to the end of uh, Elliot, you have Elliot. Just flipping it there, if that makes sense to anybody. Anyways, do we shut down the running game in the line oh. of scrimmage? Um, and I think we do. And then also, how, how does our secondary look against a good quarterback? Tankersley. He needs to continue to look good. He's going to get picked on in this game. How does he do? Defense. This is probably maybe not the best defense or the best offense we'll face. Maybe it is. And they are at home. But maybe the most dynamic offense that we'll face with an accurate passer, uh, a good running back. What can we take away from them? And I think we should be able to rely on our interior line to take away their running game and hopefully, again, rush four, get a pass rush with that, leave guys in the backfield, uh, in the secondary, an extra guy at the nickel, Sam, uh, to, to really disrupt their passing game. And by the way, you know, great news, we have McKenzie Alexander. Yeah, I think for me this game's going to be won and lost by us in the trenches overall. And I think that's where maybe it's in the first two, three seconds post-snap what can Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd do on the outside to establish a pass rush? Um, I'm not worried about their running game unless they are playing with a lead. I don't think that's going to lead their team. We'll see. Maybe their their very talented running back can break runs, but I think it just begins and ends with Kaya for us. We need to shut him down with our our, our dogs up front. Uh, special teams, only if you got something to say. Well, the question is, what do we do in the punt return game? Should Ray Ray McLeod uh, get more action returning kicks? Uh, we do need somebody more dynamic back there right now because Artavis Scott, I mean, he's the safe choice, absolutely, and that's what we've been doing in recent history for Clemson because we have such a dynamic offense. 
I tend to think at this point, still keep playing it safe while we're controlling the game, and you really want to limit turnovers. But if, if they in practice start seeing more and more out of Ray Rubin Cloud, and he gets more action in the games, he starts showing a, a positive side where he can handle it, then I think he is, in for the future, moving forward, he's the best guy for the job. On punt returns. Yeah. And, okay. I just, I, I don't, like, he's so small and fragile. Like, one big hit. I just want a guy that can catch it. But in kickoff returns, that's a guy that he, you have a chance to make, you know, make how a guy feel miss. About, how do you feel about Hunter Renfro returning punts? I think he's an All-American. I think he's the guy for the job. I'm kidding. That's that's not true. Um, he, he, he would probably do better than uh, Artavis Scott or <laughs> TJ Green from last year. Okay. Uh, well, boys, prediction time. Enough talk. Uh, I'm going to start back with you, Cody. Where's this game going to end up when the dust clears by about 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time? Yeah, 12 o'clock our time. I'm going 45-24. I think Hunter Renfro will be the key in the key to the game, uh, probably with three or four touchdown receptions. And, um, yeah, again, on his way to All-American status. So, uh, yeah, no, honestly, I think, I think we'll uh, – Sean Watson will kind of pick up where he left off. Hopefully no interceptions. Our defense will be disruptive, uh, ultimately limiting them in their pass game and obviously their run game as well. Uh, yeah, for me, I think it's a bit closer than that. I'm still worried about the turnovers, and I think we're going to still see them rear their ugly head in this game. Um, Hal and Miami is going to put up some points. Uh, I'm saying 33-24. However, as has been the case in all of our games this year, we control it. Uh, fair enough. I've been bouncing around quite a bit with my prediction here. Um, when I look at our defense and how many point totals we've let up when the defense has been focused and trying to stop the other team's offense, I think we've allowed some garbage time or we don't care as much points. Uh, we've pretty much been in the like 10 to 14 point range across the board. Like I think Tech put up 17. Seven of those were on, um, maybe Tech put up more than that. Anyway, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is, yes, Miami's a more capable offense. Um, yes, they've got playmakers. Yes, they have Brad Kaya, the best quarterback will face. Um, so I'm going to predict Miami into the 20s, but I'm still coming up with my number here. I think, I mean, I'm going to go 35-21 Clemson. Um, I do think that even if we get a slow start, which is possible on the road, um, I think that we've got, just with their defense having some injury, and our just sheer volume of playmakers and our coach's willingness and ability to spread the ball around. Um, I feel good about that. So I'm going with a 14-point Clemson win. And I think for once and for all, we're going to start to actually record our predictions. We'll give you guys a, in our next show um, how we've been doing tallies year-round and see who's where. Um, that's all we have in the Miami game. I think we're, we're, we're bullish on Clemson, uh, but... You know, certainly a team with a capable quarterback can always hurt you. So um, we will see. Around college football, we're just going to wrap here very shortly. Um, guys, I want you each to name one game you're going to be watching this weekend. And we're going to recap that on Sunday. Um, I'm looking at Utah number three at USC. Again, I keep talking about we need teams ahead of us to lose. I think this is one possibility. I think USC may be favored going into this game. Utah is going to trip up at some point this year, I believe. This could be it. Cody. 
it's not as sexy of a matchup or as of a lineup. I'm sorry, as last Saturday. Um, so I'm just gonna watch. You know, stay in the ACC. Um, FSU at Georgia Tech. I mean, another we're finding. You know, we're trying to see how we match up against FSU. It's another mutual opponent. Um, for whatever reason, it seems like they they have the inverse uh, in terms of road or uh, a, a home or, or road games in terms of our mutual opponents. But um, you know, how will they do against Georgia Tech? We're trying to figure out. I feel like. FSU up to this point is a team to look out for, and they keep improving. So maybe uh, Georgia Tech can kind of halt that for a bit. The game I'm watching this week is the South Carolina Gamecocks. They visit Open Week this week. <laughs> and, um, you know, Open Week, they're trying to get off the snide this year. They have no wins, but... Um, they're undefeated you know, they, as well. They've that's been, BYE. They've been, you know, they've been pesky, if you will. Some teams have had some, some guys go down during Open Week, so... Uh, for arrests or injuries <laughs> or other indiscretions. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Gamecocks if they're that disciplined under an interim head coach, uh, Sean Elliott. Uh, Sean Elliott. Sean Elliott. Yeah, that's another Elliott. Um, real quick, Western Kentucky at LSU, in all seriousness, Western Kentucky, their only losses at Indiana this year. They have a win over Vandy to start the season and four straight blowouts. I'm not saying they're going to win. This is something to look at because LSU has one quality win, and that's against Florida, who had just lost their starting quarterback. Go Hilltoppers. I mean, after that Memphis loss for Ole Miss, that would be quite the double double whammy for the SEC. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys, we've, we've kept you long enough. Thank you for, for sticking with us here. Um, go Tigers against Miami. Check out ClemsonPodcast.com. We've also got another interview going up this week with Chili from Block C. Uh, Block C fame. Check him out on Twitter at Hey It's Chili. Um, and big thanks once again. Uh, we got to give a shout out here to Jerry. Uh, he is over at stateoftheu.com, Jerry Steinberg. So we will certainly be posting links to their website. Thank you very much and go, Tigers.